Okay. So let's look at the um, the differential process development model um, doc. So here's here's my best description of this thing, right? So the the basic SPG model is a four-turn engine, and there are either three or four subparts to each um, to each gear <clears throat> um, that that have to. In order for the engine to turn, each gear has to be ignited one at a time, and um, to, to complete a turn. So what I'm looking for you to do is help me translate my understanding of this basic SPG model into the language of and models of the MDA, mm-hmm. um, um, the MBA, the N- MDA game design and game research approach, and also the three um, the three attribute model of simulationist, gamist, and narrativist. So that's what I'm looking for help on in this lab. So the um, it's kind of a shorthand, it's uh, GNS theory or for gamist, narrativist, and simulationist. Um, Okay. And it's more applicable to tabletop role-playing games, but I think it's also applicable to to board games as well. Um, And I brought up this image of this board game called Sulking, uh, because you were describing the kind of intertwined games. Oh, cool. Wow. That's literal. (laughs) And the way this works is um, it's, it's... so Zulkin, I think, is the my name for their calendar. And yeah. you turn this middle gear, and it turns each of the other gears. Cool. And, like, you place a worker down, and then as the days go by, the workers, the gears advance, getting giving them access to kind of higher powers and abilities. It's a really fun game, and if you want to play it, um, we can play it online through this service. But anyways, this image popped up. <laughs> oh, it's awesome. Mm. Um, so that was, that was how I was kind of like internalizing um, yeah. what you were saying here. Mm-hmm. And when I, when, so when I read your model of, of Noun and Outcomes SPG, like it sounded very much like you because it was very gamist, and, but it, it's also kind of dialectical in nature um, and algorithmic. And um, so I, um, that's one maybe aspect of gamist games is they can or are algorithmic. There's 
uh, lots of if-then, uh, you know, kind of rule processes that are that are happening in in those types of games. Um, because like choice matters. Choice matters. Yeah. Right. Yep. Um, sorry, I don't think I'm recording. Nope, I am. Um, whereas in a simulationist game, like the rules are like more tyrannical or like predetermined. And a narrativist is like anything fucking goes. Like uh-huh. there's no there's no guardrails, no bumpers, <laughs> no blinders. Um, and like the game as you described it to me also sounded like a, a role playing game because this first like choose a workplace from which to orient. The assumption that I'm hearing behind that is that like you're inhabiting a role and you're like inside of an organization and that you're going to like enact it. Um, it wasn't clear to me kind of like what my board was, you know, and like what pieces I had to manipulate, if any. So yeah, this this it it sounded to me like a like a, a game like a conversational game. Um, so it's like, I'm interested in talking about, about myself and my professional agenda, then that's how, you know, that's how we would get into. That's so cool, man. It's, it's so um, revelatory for me to listen to your thought process uh, go between these this three this three dimensional model <clears throat> and how the descriptive elements that you're using to dis- to articulate each aspect of the model can be related to what I've designed here. Um, so I was hearing you say that it's, it is gamist because of its algorithmic nature, but it's narrativist because of its role play nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and so together that makes it most unlike a simulation, um, since the simulation, well, I'm not actually sure. How are you saying that this is most unlike the simulationist approach? Uh, like, there's no established world or board or mm. um, there's like no reality. Mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. Like, I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. What are you playing within? Like, there's no. There's no world. Right. The world is just the conversation from which, like, the pl- the players are creating, which is like super narrativist. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yes. Like, what what's not here is like all of those like, you know, out like the data and the outputs that you were talking about. That's like feeding into. Like, for this to, like for this to be simulationist, it's like 
lay out these like eight cards that are like describing like you know the current environment or the situation or whatever and like given that then you're then reacting to or like inhabiting or speaking from one of these houses so like i was trying to gamify this even more and it's almost like there's three decks in, of cards in front of you there's a self a role and an organization deck in front of you and you just and and there's like a prompt from each of those and then once you've chosen one then you go into that deck and then maybe there's like three different colors and each color is like work context personal value professional gender whatever and then as you go further into that deck then you like go into the change deck and then you go so you're kind of like but all it really means is it's just like if you choose this then you're prompted with this or this question so like rather than you know, like programming if then or, you know, just like reading from a Google document, you could have the, the players like drawing from these cards. Like and yeah. using the cards is kind of a a physical element in that that you're that you're managing, which like in some sense helps because like this is a a hard thing that I have found in dialectical conversations is like you can get lost if you're not kind of putting in kind of like waypoints and markers for yourself. And so I think like the prop, like figuring out like what the props can and should be in this game, I think is really important. But like, what I still don't know is like what, like I'm curious to know like what what the questions are so like i've chosen well i'll choose an easy one i've i've chosen self and i've chosen professional agenda and like I, that that's where i'm at like what what's the next thing that happens like i got well, it's unclear to me like what turn two is Or is it just that, like, I draw all these, like, six cards, and then it's, like, then we have a conversation, like, based on these six things that I draw. It's, like, self, uh, professional agenda, existential, normative, enactment. And then it's, like, go? Or, like, yeah, like, what happens? <laughs> So let me describe um, a bit more about the economy <clears throat> of the game as I think about it. And let's return back to answering what should the turn dynamic be. Um, again, can you help us not lose sight of the MDA framework here either? So I think we've done a good job at delineating the words on the page and their relationship to the three, um, the, well, the GNS, the yeah. GNS theory, but I don't think that we've done the same for the, the, uh, the MDA framework. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause I, f I feel like you, well, 
I feel like this is, is creating a conversational dynamic within it, but it's unclear to me what the mechanics are that generate that and what the experience on the player side is. So, like, I have a strong sense of what the intent is, but not how it realizes that and what the player is actually doing. That is to say, I have, like, it's a big D for what the dynamics of the game are, but it's little mechanics and little aesthetics. Okay, all right. Can you, what is the, um, could you illustrate how you see the dynamics being clear, but the aesthetics and the mechanics not being clear in what's written? Yeah, I, I want to be sure I'm using the, the terminology correct. So, so the algorithms within what you've delineated, I think, are pretty clear mechanics. Um, okay. Um, but, like, what's happening at the time of play is unclear to me. Like, literally, what is happening while the game is, is going on? Like, you know, am I, am I choosing from a list... Am I randomly assigned these things? And that's the dynamic, right? Yes. Like, so you're, you're, you're saying the dynamic isn't clear. Actually, it's the mechanic that's fairly clear. But yeah. because the aesthetic is so absent, you don't understand the relationship between the mechanic and the aesthetic. And that's what is causing the dynamic to be so absent. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. The mechanics are like the runtime, or the, are like the instructions. The dynamics is like what happens in real time, and the aesthetics is like the emotional response from a player. And so it's the dynamics and the aesthetics that are unclear to me. Just because I don't think the mechanics are like fully described is like what happens at time of play. That's all. Okay, I'm I'm just saying I'm having a super fun time playing. And this is right and this is only natural because like the designer comes from a mechanic's first point of view. Like you're coming at it from the mechanics, the dynamics, and then the aesthetics. I'm coming at it from the opposite direction. As the oh, how, oh yeah. From aesthetics, then dynamics, and then I like in the same way you like sit down to uncover a game. Like you don't fully understand or like or intuit the mechanics. You just kind of like do what you're being told, but then eventually you'll internalize the mechanics and the strategy and, like, figure out how to win. But, like, the designer, like, has the spreadsheet that has, like, like, the designer knows what the the best cards are and the optimal plays are and, like, could algorithmically, like, tell you how to win the game because they they created it. But, like, the player doesn't have access to that. They can only, like, go through the act of play to then understand the mechanics. Because the mechanics is even different than, like, what is, like, what the rules are. The mechanics is, like, the econ like the economy within the game. Are you familiar with the game Wingspan? 
I haven't. I haven't played it yet, though. It's fascinating. There's like 300 bird cards, and they have different attributes. And Elizabeth Hargreaves, the creator, you know, she just created a spreadsheet that, like, you know, gave these like hidden values or weights to each of these attributes. And then, like, there was like a, you know, there's a standard deviation that, you know, that the cards like didn't really fall outside of. But like there are better birds mechanically in the game and there are worse birds in the game and there's you know an acceptable range between them. But like the player doesn't know what that is. The player only sees like how many eggs it has, what kind of nest it is, what its powers are. But like there's a numerical value that's in her like designer spreadsheet that tells her which cards are best and or optimal and which ones are not or suboptimal. I guess what I'm saying is, like, the true mechanics of the game are, like, still hidden inside of your head, and you just, like, need to, like, um, like better get at them. And as I'm talking about this, I think, like, one way to do that would be, like, to try to play the game in real time, like, try to create some of the dynamics to then, like, better flesh out and understand what the underlying mechanics are. So, like, I've just asked you, I've essentially asked you, like, how do we play this game? Like, I see turn one, and I've chosen self, and I've chosen professional agenda. We get to turn part two, and, like, I don't know what to do. What do you see um, being written beneath the, um, the, turn, the turns that you've selected? So you've, you've, you've done turn this turn. <clears throat> are you saying, Chad, that you've done turn part one, choose a workplace to orient? Mm-hmm. And now um, you're, um, you're not sure how to proceed through turn part two through four um, because you haven't read um, any more about the um game dynamic or aesthetic in this document no i think it's i'm sorry if i'm being dense it was just like i don't know like you haven't there's not enough information here for me to know like what change what a change model is let alone what each of these four is so i don't know what to choose yeah it's not a meaningful choice for me in this moment so you're saying that the the gameplay isn't clear enough for you to help you determine what the meaning of the choices that you've made are, nor what choices that you have um, proceeding. I know from. that I need to choose something, but I don't have the knowledge to know what choice is optimal. So tell so tell me what's missing from the gameplay section that you would need in order to proceed in your turn? I would need something like, do I live in a dot, 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 responsive world, existential world or environment, complex adaptive world, or a stratified world? I, th- I think maybe that's what this is asking me. Um, but again, I, 
I don't know enough about those four change models to, to understand. Okay, so if you if you just put in your in your thought process, if you put the next part of your turn to the side for a moment, and you opened your attention to the other aspects of what are written here, um, what stands out? So what what this says here is it's, yeah it's it's like what like what like what what is the current state of my organization and it's in uh, it's in one of these two states and and I think by beginning to Yeah, again, it's it's a little unclear. So when you read um when you read in in the table below we need to formulate an algorithm which results in upward or downward team contribution of the player which has a byproduct of either burnt uh which has a byproduct of either burnout or bore out. For example, negative capital produces upward contribution depending on work level complexity, one through three of the team that that player is on, which could le- lead them to either burnout or bore out. Capital capital is the opposite of negative capital. Um, political influence is the opposite of social clout. Pitch is the opposite of asking for help. The player profile determines how the algorithm will impact their state, impact their state, states individually in a team and in the organization overall. So in a way we need to visit this first and then create an optimal algorithm to kind of get us out of the situation. Is that what's kind of being asked here? So, so really, your your attention is focused on what's missing in terms of the the aesthetic. Like the aesthetic is so absent that it's pretty impossible for you to focus on the relationship between the mechanic and the dynamics. Well, it's it's still even unclear to me how the dynamics are realized in real time based on the mechanics that you've laid out here, and like. It's fine. This isn't written like no, I know. Write, I know. know, like a game design document here. This is just like a first draft. Right, right, right. No, no, I don't. I'm. It's, it's okay. Because I'm, I'm still just, trying to figure out the order of operations here. <clears throat> right. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm trying to use your intuition in like your mm-hmm. like reaching for an initial impression as like the basis of my further design. Yeah. So I'm like interviewing you about where your attention's at when you look at this document because you have the expertise that I don't in the game design frameworks that we're yeah. using. Yeah. So I wait, really want to play this game, <laughs> but I'm having trouble accessing it. Well, so how, how? Yeah. So how do we get there? Well, I mean, 
we are playing right now. Um, we're playing the game. It's just we're not aware. Like you said to me, you're already – you're already – I see a lot of you reflected in what you've written here. Um, and also, I see a lot of you reflected in how you're being a player to, to my game. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're definitely playing now – can anybody decipher what the fuck is going on <laughs> between us right now? I don't know. Um, because, you know, I think what makes this interesting is that, like, what you're full of in terms of your knowledge of game design, I'm empty of. And in ways, well, you're more, you're more balanced. I'm, I'm like, in comparison, you know a lot more about my constructs of organizational algorithms than I do your constructs of game design. <clears throat> but I think that that is really the 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 um that is the dynamics between us right now. And in a lot of ways, like the mechanics that you're using, I'm trying to learn. And that that is the aesthetic, whereas it the inversely you're trying to learn about my mechanics, which are written here, um, which is creating another side of the <clears throat> aesthetics. So you're trying to learn my mechanics as I'm trying to learn yours. My mm-hmm. mechanics are this organizational algorithm thing. Um, it uh, your your my mecha- your mechanics are the game design the game theory, the GNS theory, and the MDA framework. So that's where there's an equi- there's an equivalency here. And in any one moment, like, you're, you're the player teaching me how to become the game designer just as much as I'm a player of your game design and teaching you how to become a designer. Mm-hmm. Right. We're both doing both for one another. Right. <laughs> at this moment. Yeah. And so we're switching, we're switching, um, roles back and forth, trading what we're able to extract from one another's own, um, epistemological frameworks. Yeah, I'm kind of ready to dive back in. Okay. Um, where Where do you want to go? <clears throat> I think so that was I, that was like oh. one round of trying to play the game, and I'm gonna like try to play the game like one more time. All right. So. So I'll play as stimulus, and I'll be kind of a representative of stimulus here, where. I'm focusing on reorganizing to accommodate a contingent variable that is um, I'll just use your example internal effectiveness which I'll just define as financial performance um, 
so I see the table. So like our aim in playing the game is to generate an algorithm which will upwardly or downwardly divide my contribution to stimulus through the lens of financial performance. Am, am I tracking here? Yeah, you're doing great. <laughs> um, so and I guess I, I see each, it's, it seems like uh, help and pitch, social clout influence, and negative and, and capital capital are just two different ends of a spectrum if you put them here on a, on a matrix. I guess, am I trying to optimize for one or the other of these, or am I just simply describing kind of my current situation with regards to this? So um, to begin with, to answer your question, let's just forget capital, capital, and negative capital for the moment. Let's just focus on um, the two-by-two two of pitch and political influence versus help and social clout. Okay. So to to increase... Um, to increase financial stability, which is the contingent variable, you need to reorganize stimulus, is what I understand your, the move that you're proposing to make to be. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you have, you have, you have a, a choice here. Do you want to spend a resource? Or do you want to ask for a re ask for a resource? So the resource that you can spend is you can either um, pitch or attempt to politically influence the organization. And you can pitch in a way that um, is either a pitch for help or a pitch to gain social clout. If you pitch for help, you spend you spend capital capital, but you gain negative capital. If you pitch for social clout, you spend negative negative capital and you gain capital capital. What do you want to do? Well, I think I need to gain capital capital if it's financial stability I'm looking for, yeah. Right. So you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna use social clout and spend negative capital to get capital capital. So you know, now now that I said this out loud and we we're, we proposed that as a what you could do and what the expense is on your choice. What we didn't discuss was the political influence. So we didn't talk about how you can, you can spend, um, you can use political influence in two ways, either through help or through social clout and the cost of 
that choice. So you have, you have um, the algorithm here is, is, again, a two by two. And what we're trying to figure out is the choice that you actually have. And there's actually four, there's, there's four choices. The first choice sets up a potential of two other choices. But there's four in total. So political. Let me see, let me see if I can yeah. give it back to you. Cause yeah. the chart's not doing it for me. Right. At all. Right. The resource I have in front. I, so I'll assume I have some capital capital and I have some negative capital. Right. Correct. Maybe in this moment, because I've described a. Uh, you have more negative capital than you have capital capital. Correct, because I'm seeking financial. I'm seeking capital capital. Is the, correct. Is the contingent uh, variable. variable? So so whatever. So whatever. Like like that's the player card. You know that like I picked up is the one that's strapped for cash because that's my contingent variable. And like I set up my player board, and I'm like, well, fuck, I don't have any money. So then I'm looking at my board and being like, okay, well, what can I do to accrue capital, capital? And I see that I can. You've got six months of negative capital in the bank because you just studied CDF for six months. Right, right, right. It's not money. It's brains, right? It's like it's not little money tokens. It's like brain tokens. It's like right. lots of brain tokens, not many money tokens. It's my, I can see that I can, I can, I can combine, so like I can pitch for help or I can pitch for social clout or I can use political influence for help or use political influence for social clout and then right. that will either gain or lose my brains yes. or my money. Yes, 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 exactly. Now, can I take, can I, but like, so the action, so this is an action, and this is an action. This is like um, benefit or How about we call this? How about we call this a process? How about we call pitch a process? And no, no, help. Help is an outcome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's what I was looking for. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, like, I almost did it. So. So there's like two things I can I can so I can move I can place my worker I can pitch or I can place my worker and I can do political influence. Then they it generates help and so help for me means. Well, it I'm, depends. I'm sure. It depends. It depends if you used which process you used. So so let's talk about this. Well, political influence for help seems like capital capital, right? Because that's me going to the organization saying, I need a budget for this to do this or, I, or something like that. Right. 
<laughs> That's right. So then, so then, and they're gonna say, and they're gonna say, just, just to, just to, they're gonna say, tell me about the repeatable process that you're going to take in order to give us back our money. So you've just spent, you've just spent negative capital through your political influence, your network, and you've pitched them an idea. And they're going to say, well, well, the negative capital is abstracted because it's represented by political influence, which is like, it's also in a way a resource, isn't it? Because, because future, future negative capital that I earn can be spent through political influence to then get capital capital. Yes, it could go that way. That's true. But that depends on the state of the game. Right. But capital capital can be used to generate negative capital through some means, through uh, I'm, I'm if, not sure. If the organization that. if the organization isn't in a contingency state, that could be true. And but you're right. not so it's like the, there's like two sides to that board and the actions and the processes like and you're not you're not also you're not accounting for the two other states that are going on simultaneously the team state and and the individual state because you are dealing with either burnout or bore out in any moment and your team is either upwardly or downwardly divided so you have to calculate you have to say okay in this move, you have, you have to do a few things. You have to think about, yeah, how much resource do you have? But then what are the states of the game? Because there, there are three states that you have to constantly be aware of. The organizational state, the team state, and, and the individual state. If you're in, if you're in bore out, you, you, need neg- you need to introduce negative capital because you've sold your time for too much efficiency. Yeah. If you're t- but, but, and then depending on the interdevelopmental dynamic of the team, it's either upwardly or downwardly divided. And so if you're burnout on an, on an upwardly divided team, you might want to spend some of that capital to gain, um, to gain negative capital so that you could upwardly mobilize that team. But if you do so, that might flip your organization from an institutional state to a contingency state. I've created the game. Okay, sweet. (laughs) You've got it. It's operating. (laughs) Well, I know I can see the game playing in real time. It just, it was not clear to me until. Yeah. So like, um, Yeah, I'm trying to find an analog. Let's let's make it more complex yeah. and then make it more simple. Well, I will start from simple. Okay. Because that's that's where my my mind is at. Yeah, it, it's almost like so so the so the game board is comprised of at least four cardboard cards, like whatever, you know, half, half, half sheet size. One for the organization, for the team, for the individual, and 
what am I leaving out for states? So the self is either in a burnout or bore out state. You're either bored or you're burnout. Right. The the team is upward or downward. The the state of the organization is either leaning towards contingency or leaning towards institution. So it's just those three states. Yes. Yeah, those are the three. Those are the three states. That's that's right. On each side of the board. So in a burnout, downwardly divided, external contingent board state. I can see on those sides of those cards what happens if I'm spending negative – it'll tell me how I can spend or receive negative capital or yeah. receive capital. Yes. Capital. Right. So right. if I – in that state, if I use capital capital for political influence, for social for, – for help, that could potentially flip the self-board into – bore out or into a neutral state or, or, or something. No, like there's that. no neutral state. There's no neutral state. Okay. So then, so then maybe it flips. It's, it, it's always, it it's, it's always like, that's what turns the game, right? So right. you can't, yeah. but, but maybe, but maybe it doesn't act like that. Maybe it kind of cascades where like, it's actually like, and it, and it kind of loops on itself. So it's almost like you actually can't influence the self board until you've kind of like, taking care of the team and or the organization board on, until there's like, like a holy grail state or whatever. And it's like only in this like unicorn of circumstances can you actually like flip the, the, the self state all the way from like bore out to, to burn out. Or, or well, you can ask for help. You can ask for help. You know, that's the point of help. It's like, right. But then if I do that, that might actually change the dynamics of the team, right? So it's like we have to find out what the interrelatedness between all of those are and, like, like how the economy or, or and the, what are the consequences between actions. Okay, so in help, that, so that's, that's where I think there might be – there's – I think what we're talking about is actually, like, we're talking about it from one player's point of view. But what happens in that one player's mind – influences the next player but that player that it influences may be maybe a different type of player than the player that we're in right now so so let's say so here's here's another view on this so like as right, a, like that like like there's yeah i think what you're delineating it's like the the resources or the economy or the processes or the algorithms or the equations functions might be different between players because they're playing different types of players. So it's not like each it's not like Catan or Risk or whatever where every player is the same. It's something it's more like role based. I, I don't know what games you have or played where that makes a difference, but yeah, it's like whatever. I'm the fighter. You're the wizard. You're the thief. It's kind of there's right, and you might have a whole different mechanism. Like your player might be have a whole different set of mechanisms than the player that we were just in. Let's talk about some of those. Well, let's just use CDF, right? Some someone who's who's center of gravity four versus center of gravity three. Those people will respond differently to capital capital. <laughs> yeah, that's that is that's awesome. I, I I mean, it doesn't have to be that explicit, but like you could create no, an archetype. No. 
Yeah, yeah, we could do that. You're right. We could we could say here are the th- here's a three person. You know, here's a person that's going across three ED steps or five ED steps, and and yeah, we we could look at it like that for sure. Or just like even simpler, it's just like here's someone with a center of gravity of two, one with three, and one with four. They will influence and interact with the system very differently. Well, that would be weird because then how do you do the upward and downward dynamics of the team with the players of the team? Yeah. Well, you, you no, you could totally do it. Um, but can we just pause on this because I want to. Um, we've we've neglected um, the change model, the isomorphisms, and the intervention. And I think if I were to help you see those aspects of the possible mechanisms here, then you would be able to help delineate the player types from one another and then bring them into a more reciprocal whole. Can we do that? Or or no, or no? Yeah, of course. Okay, so the the change model is maybe we need to even change the change model's name because the the choice of responsive existential complex or stratified influences the state of the organization in either a contingent or an institutional state. For example, like the, each one of these is different. So a responsive, if you choose responsive, that is, that is sort of a negative, it will have a negative consequence if the organization is in an, it could have a, I should say it a different way. If you choose responsive and the organization is in an institutional state, that could be a very good thing because you move it into a contingency state. If you, however, if you choose existential and the organization is in an institutional state, it might stay the same. Mm-hmm. Um, a complex adaptive state um, is more like a contingent state. So if, if you, if you choose, um, the complex adaptive change model and the organization's in a contingency state, it's likely to stay the same. So you could see the change models as a stabilizing force or a disruptive force to the institutional state at a given time. Mm-hmm. Similarly, the, the intervention operates in a similar way. So when you ask for help, the if you use interpretation, that is going to have an um that's gonna have oh so if you're in pitch and the respondent uses interpretation, that's gonna have an effect on the success of the uh, the outcome of help. So, so if, so like, and that, this is where the battling I think comes in between dice rolls between players. So if you chose, if you chose, if you chose pitch and help in your example, mm-hmm. right? And so you, you were going to pitch me for help. You were going to spend, um, you were you were gonna spend uh capital capital and receive negative capital 
And I chose, I chose instead of, um, I chose enactment versus interpretation. Enactment might cost more capital capital, but benefit by giving you more negative capital, like exponential negative capital, over interpretation, which might cost little capital, but is expensive from a negative capital standpoint. Yeah, I'm I'm already um so I'm imagining this as a simultaneously reveal game where the the players have the choice so the, the players have like one of each of those cards for the change model or let's just say the change model and the intervention and like we we choose them in secret on our turn based on like we can see it's like well you get a little bit of a boost if you actually choose interpretation in this moment or you get a little bit of a boost if you choose responsive but if that's not met by the same on the other side or if it's met by something that's actively counteracts it then that's like so there's it's not like a bluffing but there is like a bit of a betting or a gambling yeah because totally. the there's a, like there's a foreground secret. and a background, right? There's a or there's a there's a backstage and a front stage, right? And it's like, well, am I co- am I cooperating or am I not cooperating? Like, yeah. am I like, you know, the print, the prisoner's dilemma? It's like, well, if I actually screw them over, it really benefits me. But if we both choose to screw one each other over, then we are both a little screwed. In that, like, maybe it costs us more capital, capital, or more negative capital. And I think what the game can do is, is well, I mean, I think the whole point is to teach, right? And so then the lesson is like, oh, wait, we're in a situation. This, like, we fucked it up by playing this game, so let's not fuck it up in real life. Let's actually, like, <laughs> yeah, let's let's spend the capital capital when, you, when you've pitched me for help, do the enactment so that we can actually double down on our return on negative capital instead of, spending the capital capital and then having to spend negative capital on top of it because we're doing interpretation instead. Something like that. Yeah. Just like that. Just like that. And then, so that the last piece here that we haven't talked about is the, the isomorphism. So like the change model, the isomorphisms in use have to do with the way that you are, um, it has to do with what you were talking about between competition and cooperation. So um, if you're competing, you, well, if, if you're in a, if you're in a competitive mode, it influences how you interpret normative mimetic and coercive isomorphisms rather than if you're in a um, cooperative mode. So, and, and this has to do with the, this has to do with social clout and political influence in particular, in the sense that um, when when you are using political influence, you're using um, you're you're using these three types of isomorphisms, and when you're when you have social clout, you're using these 
three types of isomorphisms. So in the social clout, um, depending on the current composition of normative, mimetic, and coercive isomorphisms, determines the is determined also by the the unique amount of um, isom these three types of isomorphisms in the, the political influence. So I guess um, so maybe maybe there are four types of resources. There are there's capital capital negative capital. There's intervention and there's isomorphism. You'll, you'll have to elaborate on the isomorphism. Okay, so and when one yeah. is necessary. Right. So isomorphisms are um well they're so they're so related to the the um the intervention in the sense that in any moment um what what we're what we're doing in an organizational environment communicatively we're we're intervening in any moment so we're we're either we're either doing an interpretation which is mostly what's happening in the real world we're mostly doing interpretation and attentional support mm-hmm. and we're implicitly enacting out our roles it, until we do things like what you and I do we trade roles with one another we trade organizations with one another so we enact we enact what we've just learned from the other person. Mm. And, um, and so, so do you need me to go through? So interpretation, I'll just formally define these things. So interpretation is when you reframe or retell the thing that you just heard back to the person in a, in a different way to, to Mm -hmm. help them through you rearticulating it in a manner. It also, interpretation, it also happens when you ask a question. Your, your, your question helps them reinterpret the thing that they just said from your point of view. Um, that's different than attentional support, which is like, Chad, when we talk in these abstract terms, how does that make your body feel? Do you feel anxious? Do you feel, do you feel anxiety? Do you feel curious? Like what, what does, what, when I change, when I change from asking you to listen to me in terms of these like abstract concepts that I'm defining and you listen for me from like an emotional standpoint based upon how your body is responding to what I'm sharing with you, how does that change the way that you're participating here? Right? So that's a demonstration. I just did an enactment with you. I changed where your attention was from this like abstract verbal thing to this like emotional and body experience that you're having as you're listening to me. That would be different than, okay, Chad, now can you do what I just did for you back to me in a way that you could see help me helping? And we like do a take on that. So now how does that relate to isomorphisms? Isomorphisms are a term from sociology they have to do with communication theory and how 
uh, language is used to either coerce, which which is a coercion happens when you have you have a, a majority of people that another voice is speaking to whom share a set of normative assumptions. They have a set of shared beliefs, values. They're enacting uh, what they think they should be doing, what they ought to be doing. Um, that's a normative. That's the way a coercive isomorphism relates to a normative isomorphism. So a normative isomorphism is a representation of the consensus of the, the normative values, paradigms, um, underlying beliefs of the majority. The coercion, or it's like the incumbent force. The coercion, mm -hmm. the coercion is the outside disruptive force that's attempting to coerce the norm into something else. Right, to flip the majority. To flip the majority or to break the majority up. The, the, and then the mimetic isomorphism is like what either normative or coercive isomorphisms are using as like sound bites to try to infect the other with. So like Trump, you know, if we could look at like Trump's tweets are a mimetic coercive, he's using a mimetic, he's using a mimetic strategy through social media to coerce the majority or, or to speak to the minority in these various ways. So these are like, you know, like the three dimensions of the game, the DNS model, they're hard to separate from one another because they make their, their differences make up a, a unity, a whole. So yeah. why is it important to have them here in the game? So because the, the parallel with the organizational states is the, is the change model in the outside world. So like these change models sort of exist in the game space all the time. They're influencing the state of the play as is the internal dynamics like the individual that, and the team. But the individual and the team sort of sit uh, on the inside of the organization where the isomorphisms <clears throat> and the change model sits on the outside. And that's the balancing force of the organizational states. Now, is the institutional state derived from the makeup of those states? Um, from the isomorphism, the, 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 state, the state of the organization is comprised of both the internal realities and the external realities that that organization is facing. My question is, if, if I have an individual, if, if the individual is burnout, the team is downward, the change is existential and the isomorphism is coercive, does that mean therefore the organization is contingent or institutional? Or or do you choose one of those and then you and then the others fall out of that? 
you've um, you and you inter you um, metabolized the model faster than I was able to <laughs> listen. So yeah, you have to slow down with me and ask the question again. Sorry for being slow. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, so what you're delineated is kind of inside and outside. We place change and isomorphism outside and team and individual inside. I've, I've gotten that. And it sounded like you were kind of in, on the fulcrum, you were putting whether it's in a contingency or institutional state. So like what I'm asking is if the board state says burnout, downwardly divided, existential, coercive, like, does that then, like, automatically, like, by rule, flip it to one state or the other, to contingency or institutional? Or is it the other way around? Do I choose, do I flip that first and say, no, I'm internal, or I'm, I'm um, contingent or institutional, and then that gives me the option of these two change models, these, this isomorphism, this I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure the order of operations. Are they not yet. related? No, no. They're everything's interrelated, but I'm not sure the order of operations. It depends on which way that you're going in the game. Like, you know, you could look at the water cycle from the point of view of like, you know, water evaporating into the clouds, the clouds condensing, and then going higher up in the atmosphere, forming uh, into ice. The ice then uh, in the clouds, pulling the clouds down um, into the atmosphere, then leading into snow, and then the snow leading into water, and the water. You could go, you know, you could you could go, you could take the water cycle either way around. You can start in any place, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. What did that? Well, mean? I'm just I yeah. I get, I'm not seeking an answer so much as like seeking the structure and in putting these together more as we're talking about them. Sure. I didn't expect you to have an answer there. But oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I, but I don't, you're, you, but you're not, you're not, you're not, I guess like fully, it seems like I've internalized your understanding quite well. You're not pushing back on me on that. So I, I feel like I kind of. Yeah, you got it. That's what I'm saying. You, you did internalize the model. I, I just, so I do think that, So let's come back to our definitions of institutional and contingent, right? In an in institutional state means that the um, the organization is seeking is seeking external legitimacy for its existing accommodating form, meaning like the organization is a con is is you know a container whose volume is one liter <laughs> and what has happened is that like it has poured out some volume of water into something else. And the, the challenge is the organization is asking, do we need a different container to uh, accommodate the amount of volume that's now in our, in our leader bottle or, meaning do we need a new bottle or should we just refill our bottle in a contingent state? The answer is refill the fucking bottle uh -huh. 
in a in a contingency state, it's change the bottle. Institutional state. No. The institutional state would not change the accommodating form. It would just try to seek more external legitimacy to fill itself back up like it has been historically. So like, so like, um, because you, you use, you use the same term twice. I just, I wanted to, to oh, disambiguate. My, my sorry. I'm sorry about that. No, um, it's okay. Are you following with my metaphor? Yes, but you used the same term twice, which confused me. Okay, so I'm not the sure where. The contingency state is we need a new bottle. Yes. The institutional state is just fill the bottle back up. Fill the bottle back up. Okay. And the the difference also is in the, in that fill the bottle back up as a strategy is is because the institution is able to get external support to make that happen. It's able to go get outside capital and financing because of its political affiliations. Or new customers because they have a business model that works. Yeah, right. Yeah, don't change what's not broken. <laughs> but but then if the organization is a contingency, if it's designed institutionally to be a contingent organization, organizational structure, often they'll say, fucking reorganize, downsize that shit, maximize profitability, reorganize to internal effectiveness, because we can always scale back up. Fire people, uh, um, cut departments. We don't need that big of a bottle any longer because the volume of the bottle is only so big. That's just wasted space. Mm-hmm. Let's reorganize based upon the size of the bottle because the the bottle is 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 infinitely um, you know resizable to the amount of volume that we have at any given time. So we can downsize, right. upsize. It's configurable to the person to the process. Yeah, yeah, it's totally configurable. There's no there is no there's no historical memory to bring things back to some of what it what it should be normatively. Right, that's why the isomorphisms are so important. Is that that the isomorph the isomorphisms are the communicative theory, or or it said it differently, they are the communication medium by which the organization is resizing itself in these different states. Is it like you you know that an organization is in a contingency state because? It's because there's no normative isomorphisms or because that's a, it's that's just... A, that's a data point. Yeah, sure. You could, yeah. you could analyze the communication processes of the organization, and you could look at the Slack channel, email exchanges, what the board of directors has said in their annual report, the memo that went out from the CEO to his VPs, and you could say, okay, like based upon what's being said here he, and, and type, type, typologizing the this, the utterances from these three different isomorphisms, you could say, oh, that that organization design, based upon how these different stakeholders are communicating with one another, is an institutional organization design dealing with a contingency, and it's either going to seek external legitimacy to come back to its accommodating form, or that is a that is a 
that is a, a contingent based organization design that's that is fighting against what it's been historically in order to reorganize itself to be most internally effective for today's state. Again, based upon what these different, how these different stakeholders have communicated and their use of these three different isomorphisms. Mm -hmm. So this is where like communication theory meets sociology, um, um, sociology in the field of organization design. And now I understand how isomorphisms can or are a kind of resource in the game because a contingent organ an organization in a contingent state is going to have more mimetic and or coercive isomorphism resources versus an institutional organization which would have higher normative. normative. Yeah, and mimetic. Yeah. Or, or you and know, mimetic mimetic can go either way, sort sure. of. Yeah. Exactly. And so so coming back you to would, okay. you would spend or gain those resources. That's a good point. You're in a situation in a game where you're stuck in an institutional organization. You understand that in order to get to your win state, you need to transform into the contingent state. Therefore, you would spend mimetic and coercive. Yeah. Oh, a lot. A lot. <laughs> yeah. the state of your organization. Right. Yes. Yeah. Then, yeah. Right. So, so then you, you spin that, then you'd be able to flip over into a contingency state. Then you could adapt a responsive chains model. Yeah. So let's talk about this. So I I came up with this. I came up with this while I was at Undercurrent. Really, this whole uh, this whole simulation came came in a lot of ways from from Undercurrent when I started being like, fuck these pilots that were running to deal with the silos inside of these institutional organizational environments is super taxing. And it takes so long to prove the scientific guess that we're making about our theory of change. Like if you were to use a responsive theory of change rather than like an existential theory of change, uh, that would increase the probability that the the institutional organizational environment could reorganize through teams um, to help turn the organization into a contingent based organization to deal with the ineffectiveness of the existing management hierarchy that's a, that that um, deals in terms of institutionally you know running decisions up the flagpole, not knowing right. who's responsible. Sourly dividing teams, creating burnouts. Right. right. Yeah, right. So so I was like, man, if we had a simulation that just allowed us to, like, model the the existing organization as we understand it through our qualitative research, like, let's plug in the guesses that we're already making among the strategists that are the things that we're using to then compile our case for change 
using responsive, and then we are mimetically, we're trying to coerce the majority into a new theory of change, responsive from existential, to flip the organization from an institutional to a contingent-based environment. Bless you, bless you. Did, so the game was an accelerant or a mimetic device. Right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. But, but you know, I couldn't, I wasn't as good at, I, I was using, I was using this algorithm. I've been using this algorithm for a long time. I just couldn't see it objectively where I could like articulate the, the algorithm. Well, I mean, I think you've done it well enough for me today where I could create a game by which that is the goal, and there are steps that you have to take and resources that need to be managed in order to get to that. I mean, it'll be very simple within this first go-round, but I think I have I have, a, I have a, a little bit of sense of, like, resources and economy, decisions that can be made, processes and how things are converted into other things, and then like how you flip the different states of the board, how that influences all of it. But, you know, we could say it's like, because in a way, like, you could almost create this as, like, a single-player game. That you, it's just like a puzzle that you have to solve. You yeah. don't even necessarily have to do it in relation to other players. Um, yeah, it could have, an, what is it called, an automata? Uh, and Yeah. yeah. Or, but not even that. It, it could just be... It could just be a, a, a puzzle. Like these mm. very limited resources, these are the algorithms in front of you, decisions that you can make, and this is the outcome that you have to get to. And it's just like, okay, I do this, I flip that. Oh, well, that changes. Okay, okay so I do this, and it flips that. Okay, but it flipped this back, you know. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. So it's like, so then you're like flipping the different cards in the board, and it's like only when they're all facing, you know, the green side or whatever, then it's like, okay, we've achieved – Achieve the, con- the contingent responsive. I mean, it's never that's the whole divided, right? It's never going to be, you know, I the it, it you're always you're always trying to maximize. It's never perfect. Everything that you do has, you know, it's it's an open system. It's not a it's not a perfect thorough thermodynamic system, you know. Right. Right, but I but all I all I mean to say it's like, uh, given this external circumstance, this is where you're trying to move the organization. Can you move it there? It's not that like it's going to be that and stay that forever. Yeah, yeah. But I guess I guess the maybe the title of the game should be entropy. <laughs> yeah. You know, like that's really what I'm trying to point out. Like with the, these algorithms, is that like the organization is constantly like going towards a state of entropy. It's constantly being disrupted. And as a result, the accommodating structures that exist both internally and from an organization design standpoint are the thing that's creating the limits of stability that hold the organization back from achieving like what is idealized as this like radical 10 X 
result that everyone's looking for in every activity that they're doing. That's why they're obsessed yeah. with this term of like, is it scalable? Well, is it scalable is a question that has to do with this like constant tragic gap that we're always feeling as individuals, teams, and as organizations between what the ideal utopic kind of potential is and the reality or the actuality that we think exists. But I say the difference between reality and actuality is that we don't realize how entropic our existing system is, which is the thing that by not understanding, it keeps our gap intact because our gap is actually just an, an immunity that that is the thing that's stabilizing and reanimating the organization, keeping it relatively stable in the way that it's been. And so, like, we we have to – that's a great thing. And it's also what's really holding us back from radical new potentials of reorganizing for the future. So one thing that was illuminated for me – in use saying that is the potential for games to help push people from context into process mm-hmm. thinking mm-hmm. in real time. Yeah. And like, yeah, because of like the immediacy of the game and you're seeing it happen in real time. So like you're going from that kind of that fixed no, that's the real world, and mm-hmm. it is and has and always will yeah. be the real world. Right. Versus, like, this person, you know, on any given turn, like, the organization is flipping and changing in front of their eyes, and they're like, wait a minute. Like, you mean all of this is going on all the time inside the organization? It's like, yes. It, it, it's always <laughs> like red light, green light, like, over, <laughs> right. over, and over again. And then, like, well, fuck, like, well, what do I do? It's like, well, yeah, exactly. That's why you're having all of these issues. So yeah, I think then what, yeah, a, a byproduct of that is both moving from context to process, but also being a more strategic thinker. Because then because you're more aware of the processes that are in play, you can begin to hold them in your mind and understand if I change, if, well, then you're almost moving into relationship because then you're looking at the interrelatedness between all of the different parts. Um, yeah, I'm again. This I put my researcher hat back on. I'm like trying to make some assertions about how games can be props or processes for like for CDF. Yeah, I mean that that expanded your research aims from what you articulated earlier because before you were really just talking about the relationship to between play and work, um, and now you're sort of adding this whole other dimension of like education, learning, or development, um, and seeing games, by seeing games as a way that can change the way that we relate to work and play can actually be, can influence the way that we think about our learning and development, but also in turn, we can use games to refocus us in our learning and development that changes the way that we work and play. Yeah, and not only that, but you know, reaching even further back into like lean startup. It's like <laughs> Yeah, the simulation is better than starting and running a fucking company for twenty five years to see if it works or not. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Why do we need to do that? We don't. I mean, that's the whole right. thing. So it's like, yeah, so, yeah, like how, how, oh, yeah, like this is fucked up. Like, <laughs> lean, lean is all about eliminating the waste, but we were being pushed in that ideology to start companies and, like, do shit when, yeah, like it's – like, like, we don't want to fulfill that mission. Yeah. It's yeah. like if we're wasting our human capital in order to maximize the reduction of waste through our company apparatus. <laughs> right. Right. So right. By, like, serving customers, like, underlying needs, it's sort of like, well, what do we sacrifice in terms of our own developmental potential as a result of that? Because, like, if what people need is toothbrushes, why the fuck would we want to build toothbrushes for people? Like, let someone else do that. I mean, that's the way I feel. <laughs> I don't, I don't just, I don't want to just build a business because I can. Like, you know, what's, and, and furthermore, like, what's the reason that the business doesn't exist in the first place? Well, maybe because it's a shitty business to be in. It doesn't mean that it shouldn't happen just means that, like, maybe someone else is better at it than I am. So, yeah. Yeah, or it's just a form of arbitrage or just yeah. getting there first. Right. To, to uh, yeah, to, to take advantage of, of that arbitrage opportunity. Huh. So it seems like you sort of, you, we finished our game. Well, I have a, I don't want to say I have a fully formed picture of a game in my mind, but I feel like I could begin to prototype this game. Mm-hmm. Um, like create components and begin to work on rules. You know, you said you'd like to hire me to, to better... Um, to better define this, I feel like I actually have enough information where, where I, like I said, like I could prototype it. So I'm, I guess, do you, do you feel like that would be, uh, you know, a worthwhile use of like four or five hours of my, my time to come back to having some components where we can maybe fill in a couple of blanks because there's going to be some things that I don't really get, but like, I feel like I, I, ha- I know like, you know, there's there's resources, there's kind of cards, there's a board state, and then there's like the ways in which they interact with one another. I guess just, you know, do we want to turn it into a prototype that we could play more fully, or do you want to um, continue to oscillate kind of, you know, between uh, now and now coming to the foreground and stimulus in the background, et cetera? Yeah, yeah. I guess I was just I was just gonna ask. Um, to be able to answer your question, I think I need to know more about how in now and outcome hiring you to do that four or five hours of prototyping, you would be able to make a meaningful step forward for stimulus. Well, you'd be my first client. <clears throat> my, my first non-paying client. <laughs> Which, yeah. I, which I think is a, is a meaningful, like, 
I have I have lacked the yeah I've lacked the kind of motivation to complete a prototype of World of Work. I think because it's well because I haven't had a client say because I haven't had a client hire me for it so to speak. It's it's been speculative up to this point for the most part. But all I'm saying is like you know I've had a discussion where I think we both have an idea of what this game like looks and feels like and we could potentially sit down and play it and that is like that's more motivating to me than than maybe World of Work which is probably like a couple a few more weeks away but I feel like by the end of the week we could play a version of this game like very easily and, and therefore I would be exercising my game design skills in such a way and kind of creating, you know, uh, a sweet... I'd be building my toolbox of... I'd be building this game in the same way that I'd be building components of the game for World of Work. I mean, the other thing is that, you know, I could be the first player as stimulus and whatever the outcome from the game would be, would at least be supportive of, of me. Mm -hmm. I mean, so the here's other, what, like, and I can do it in, in parallel with World of War 2. Because, like, I mean, I would love to have the conversation with Casey to better understand what's going on with her and with DCG, and to better inform World of Work. I think maybe that's the other reason why I haven't spent too much time on it is because it's been absent like a client or a client player um, to use as like a, you know, a, a source of research and, and play testing. But it's not to say that I couldn't use you. It's interesting because I, my mind went in the inverse direction from you. Um, I was thinking that I was trying to maximize for the time that you spend working as a partner in Noun and Outcome provides you not only ownership in noun and outcome, but also work opportunities that support you to develop personally in ways that are trans transferable back into stimulus. Well, I, I, I feel that I just, I, I, I didn't state it. Oh no, it's, it's fine. But it's interesting how you did state it though, because what it what it brought to light <clears throat> is that um, noun and outcome can play the role of client to its clients in the sense that you can practice a new service offering on noun and outcome or with me and put me in the client role. And we can prototype the service. Well, that's exactly what I, I think. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm hiring you to do. I think that that's what I said, but I didn't say it that way. No, you did say the second the, the second way. Yeah. 
you said it, you said it like, you interpreted my question by, by saying, well, what's missing for me right now as a client to get towards my end goal of, you know, uh, money. And so I'm going to, I'm going to use this interaction as a test for my new service offering as a game designer. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's a different service. Game design is a different service than the one that we're considering with Casey. Yes. And DCG. Yeah, and and again, I I pushed it kind of further away because I I think it's this game like the DCG game will fall out of this game design process of which we're now in. I think. What if DCG doesn't need a game? What if they need a different service? Well, yeah, we don't we don't know. Mm, well, I, I have a more, I have a more clear sense of things now, which I haven't told you about, but, um, yeah. Maybe we should, uh, maybe we should cut here on this take and then, um, and then spend some time